Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You're listening to that Chelsea podcast episode 93. Go Razzmatazz. <laughs> Welcome back to that Chelsea podcast, the podcast that finally, finally has a win at Stamford Bridge against Leicester for the only the second time in the last six years, Chelsea beat Leicester at Stamford Bridge as we go to the giddy heights of sixth place in Europa League qualification. I'm joined on the pod for the first time in a long, long time. Just a pleasure to have him on, nonetheless. It's Mr. Daniel Hill. Dan, how are we doing? I'm all right, thanks. Nick, uh, good to be back. Appreciate you having me on again. Yeah, no, exactly, Dan. It's been long overdue and it's always good having you on and making his first ever appearance on the podcast. I can't believe it. He's interacted with a pod lot. I've literally spoken to this man. He was one of the OGs people I spoke to on Twitter. You know, we have had, you know, some conversation before over on YouTube, but it's finally nice to have him on the pod. Akash, welcome to the pod. How are you, my man? Doing good, bro. Thank you so much for having me on. Good to finally be on. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. Again, it's long overdue and getting you and Dan on is a lovely little pairing on this Sunday morning. Um, as I always do with guests, I get them to give themselves a little plug. So, Dan, going back to you, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me on, on my handle at uh, idanno05. That's uh, I-D-A-N-K-N-O-W-0-5. I also, or well, more occasionally now, but uh, I still like am involved with the Chelsea Social. So you can check me there at the Chelsea Social as well. Um, so they're really good uh, Chelsea fan page. A bunch of great guys on there um, who do really some tremendous work. Um, so you can find me on either of those places. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's where I am for the moment. Yep. Just social, full of great guys. Dan is another one of them. We're very lucky to get Dan and other members of them on. And Akash, why don't you also tell people where they can find some of the work that you're involved in? Yeah, Sure. So I pop on and off Twitter, so I try to avoid match days, match days because it gets a bit childish on there. I, I, I think we've all Akash.hibar. And I'll send the YouTube video link over as well. So we have 
a YouTube channel in India where we try to do both regional as well as English content. So I'll share that over with you. Next week. Nice one, nice one. And the link will be in the description below. Right before we though talk about Leicester, Champions League draw happened on Friday. That was that was fun. Was it Thursday or Friday? It might have been Thursday. But the Champions League draw happened, and Dan, we got a pretty good draw: AC Milan, Salzburg. And Dinamo Zagreb, just your quick thoughts on that Champions League draw. And obviously, there's a little bit of a uh, Chelsea reunion there with Fakaya Tomori and Olivier Giroud. Yeah, of course. I think, uh, I, like, the head of the draw, I was uh, putting out a little bit of banter on Twitter saying, like, I'd like to get Bayern, Barcelona, and Marseille just for the fun of it, you know, maybe a little bit of a sucker for punishment. But um, no, um, I think, to be honest, it's probably as good as the draw could have gone. Um, Milan, of course, Serie A champions, but I think in terms of they haven't been in the Champions League that frequently uh, recently. So I think in terms of the the, the top the part one uh, teams we could have got, I think between maybe them and and Eintracht Frankfurt would probably be in the the most ideal uh, ones to get. And then of course Salzburg is a very high intensity uh, kind of team uh, in the sort of Red Bull uh, you know umbrella of teams, um, but they're also relatively inexperienced at Champions League level. Um, and I think it's the first time we've ever got Zagreb as well. So, um, of course, there's a connection with uh, Mateo Kovacic, uh, having, I think he started his career there um, in, in Croatia. So, But I think from, from a, a perspective of like just the seedings um, with Salzburg and, and Zagreb, I know they were quite low in both uh, part three and four, respectively. So I think yeah, from that standpoint on paper, it's definitely a, a favourable draw. And uh, one would expect uh, Chelsea to be able to navigate that uh, group, uh, hopefully relatively com- comfortably, because of just sort of the caliber of uh, player Chelsea can call upon is probably uh, on paper high end of a of a bigger standard than those other three teams. Um, but yeah, of course, reunion with Bicayo uh, and Olivier will be quite uh, interesting to see. Um, both uh, good servants for Chelsea. Bicayo probably a little bit unlucky not to still be at the club. Um, Olivia obviously did uh, great things for us, winning some some key trophies and delivering some clutch moments. But yeah, it'll be good to see those boys back at the bridge. Hopefully, they don't do well against us. Against us. Um, but uh, yeah, overall, uh, you know, in a word or two, I think uh, a good draw. Yeah. No. No. Exactly. I mean, Akash, I'll just give you your thoughts. Obviously, you know, Chelsea. It's a good draw. Uh, again, it's a group that realistically they should be topping. Yep, so I, I'd be a little wary because Milan are very strong where we're weak, right? So on transition, they're a very, very strong team. They have people they, like Benesher and Tonali who can play people, uh, you know, in behind. And uh, Rafael Leo, for all his rawness and lack of experience, is very, very dangerous on the break. So I'm a little wary of seeing him run at people like Aspie if he starts or, you know, whoever sits on Jorginho for that match. Uh, so I don't think it's a given that we'll get first, but uh, again, so like Dan mentioned, we should definitely be looking to qualify with a healthy points total. And I think Dan had mentioned that he has a very specific uh, points total in mind, below which he yes, won't accept it also. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So lo- looking at that, yeah, we, we should definitely, definitely be aiming for first. And yeah, hopefully we avoid the big guns in the round of 16 there. Yeah, I mean... Milan are a good team, man. They're sorted, so... I was I was being a bit naughty on a group chat with Akash, and I said uh, uh, I think Chelsea should get no fewer than fourteen points. In that Fair group. enough. Fair enough. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah that's maybe, a, maybe that's, that's a little bit maybe that's a little bit naughty, but yeah, I was like, I mean, uh, to I was be fair, all, uh, was it? We got thirteen last year, and we should have got fifteen. But 
but you know, yeah. it didn't happen. But it turned out to be a blessing because we got Lille. So you know, but one of the yeah. perks coming second last year. But yeah, no, exactly. It's a it's a pretty good group for Chelsea. Some good good ties there as well for the fans to go to, which is always a nice one. And yeah, Chelsea playing mm. AC Milan will be pretty pretty special fixture. And yeah, I mean, the Salzburg kind of been one of those, I guess, up and coming teams in recent years. So you had some, some a fair few good players play for them over recent years. So Mr. Early yeah, Marlins being one of them. And uh, I guess it's just one of those, you know, they won't be easy, but it's one of those, a, a potential tricky tie, but Chelsea should should navigate. Obviously, Salzburg did, I think, draw. Salzburg eventually got absolutely clapped by Bayern last year. They drew that first, like, 1-1. So they, they won't be yeah, easy. Yeah, they, then they lost, like, six or seven new or Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So it was, you know, the first, like, went well, second leg did. But they'll be, they'll be, you know, be a challenge, but they, you know, should be a team we, we should be able to, to get past. And ultimately, it's, yeah, maybe a slightly... Slightly tougher group than last year, maybe, but um, still nonetheless a, a pretty good group for Chelsea. And considering mm-hmm. you know the group Liverpool got, <laughs> etc., City got a pretty you know a group C should still get through, but they probably got more challenging groups. And obviously Spurs, I think got Spurs got a Europa League group, which I guess is quite just funny in itself. But yeah, we'll yeah. we'll leave the Champions League talk there. It's been a good draw, and look, there'll be some good away days. I know a lot of Chelsea fans are already booking up certain places. I need to get get on looking at flights and accommodation for certain games as well. What? So we'll yeah. have a look, what? but. Um, Go on, Dan. Yeah, sorry. One one final point I wanted to make. Sorry, I'm interrupting you, but I think an underrated part of the draw as well is that there's not a lot of traveling for the players. Like not going to Russia or like, um, like Azerbaijan or some like like really really far. So, uh, because it's like you know it's, it's Austria, Italy, and uh, Croatia, which are all re- like relatively close, like within like an hour or two's flight. Um, so I think that's kind of like an underrated part of the draw as well. I think it's pre- pretty fortunate from that perspective. Yeah, exactly. No long trip to Russia like last year. No, exactly. Um, so, so that's pretty good. Pretty good draw. And, you know, Champions League kicks off about a week and a half or two weeks time. So we look forward to that. And before we get on to Leicester, I guess a big update and it's kind of like an update that we kind of been waiting to happen. But Wesley Fofana, you know, it's imminent. It's kind of a, the closest we've got. And furthest along, you know, we've got obviously we've got that David Ornstein uh, on the other day, Chelsea understood to have reached an agreement with Leicester City to sign Wesley Fofana. Um, Akash, just your kind of thoughts on Wesley Fofana. It's been probably it's been a long transfer saga. It's a saga that probably a lot of us are kind of bored over. You know, it's a saga that we kind of needed to to close, given you know, I guess our, our lack of depth in the in the centre back position currently. Just your thoughts on signing Wesley Fofana? Yep, definitely. So, uh... Especially looking at how gas Thiago Silva was at the end of last season, right? He was running on fumes and uh, I think th- that was pretty evident in the couple of bad performances he had versus Real in the first leg and a few other matches as well. So, uh, really, really good signing, one for the future. And, uh, you know, he's, he's a really neat player. He's a front foot defender, not afraid to get involved, loves a tackle. But uh, I think a few people have made this point that in terms of progressiveness or, you know, uh, he's not Jules Kunde, right? Jules Kunde was like, uh, he, as Central very eloquently puts it, he attacks like a right back from uh, Central Defence. And for fun, isn't that player in terms of he can't, maybe he's a little young as well. He's not the player to break into the opposition box. Or, you know, create chance upon chance. Like, I think I think that was the kind of profile Tukil wanted. But uh, it is definitely moving in the right direction. And I see him slotting into right centre-back. And uh, a back line of Fofana, Thiago Silva and Koulibaly looks amazing. So, I think a lot of us would have uh, taken that for sure at the start of the window. So, very happy with the move. Yeah. Dan, obviously, you know, the fee, report, you know, reported fee is a lot. 
for Wesley Fofana. He's arguably not worth that at this current moment in time. But as we kind of know with transfer fees, it's not really what they're worth. It's what they're worth to the selling club. And when you kind of leave it this late to do your business as well, you, you know, less doesn't leave less for a huge amount of time to get a replacement. So they're going to want a, a lot of money. He's obviously off the back of a serious injury, but, you know, in general was actually, you know, had a pretty solid Premier League career. Just your kind of thoughts on this Wesley Fofana signing? Yeah, I think the thing that I'm happiest about is the fact that it, uh, the fee seems to be, as reporters, nowhere near the, the world record fee. Because I was like, uh, I've been chatting to Akash about this as well uh, quite a lot. Is like, I was, I was really reticent for that deal if, uh, if it, like the fee, because I saw on some like LCFC HQ page where like they were, I, I, it's not like a quotable page, but like they were murmuring that like 90 million or something like that, including add ons and, or it was over 80 million on reported by some, Leicester-based sources as well. And I was just really not keen for the deal, just for the simple fact that I think that's a lot of pressure for someone who, for all intents and purposes, it has is relatively unproven at like the top level. You know, of course he has um, experience at the Premier League level, but he's still only 21. I think that's a lot of pressure for a 21-year-old as well. But like you said, um, uh, with the with the size of the fee, uh, 70 million odd, I think you're paying for potential as much as you are paying the the asking price of the you know, what the selling club, what Leicester want. Um, so he's 21. He's got a lot, or like his whole career ahead of him. Um, he's demonstrated his potential as well. Um, so I think that's what you're really quite playing for, uh, or paying for, sorry. And, um, but yeah, like it, it excites me because, um, I think he's, he's shown his qualities. Like Akash said, the only, he's a, like a very good defender. Perhaps the only downside a little bit is that, um, he's not quite as progressive as maybe, uh, we we are used to as a right centre back, um, or what perhaps what our, our style of football needs. Um, but there's no reason really can't necessarily learn that because he's he, I think he's young enough. Um, but um, yeah, just to condense my sort of feelings in the move, I think it's a good move as well. And something maybe uh, some aren't talking about too much is that it allows us then to play Reese James as a, a right wing back purely now. He doesn't have to play right centre-back, which I think uh, inhibits him a little bit. So from that standpoint, that's sort of like a value-added bonus of the of the transfer itself and that it allows Reese to play in probably his best position. Um, but yeah, I think he'll do well for Chelsea. I think it's a good signing. And as Akash said quite uh, succinctly and uh, aptly, uh, uh, back three of uh, Koulibaly, Thiago Silva and Fofana is, is ideal and it's probably the perfect... Uh, Back three, we could have hoped for uh, in replacing uh, Christensen and um, Rudiger, who who left for Real Madrid and Barcelona, respectively. Yeah, no, no, exactly. And look, the fee is quite a lot, but again, who knows you, if Fafana goes on on the trajectory that many think he will, we'd have just ended up paying that fee, or someone else would have a few years down the line. And again, transfer fees, how much? Like, I think he's getting to the point with transfer fees, as we've kind of seen with the rumoured prices of a certain Anthony Gordon. Who's, you know, thankfully probably added about 10 million on after his goal yesterday to rule us out of signing him. Um, but, you know, transfer mm-hmm. fees, you know, I think you've just got to take a pinch of salt and just accept the market is ridiculous at the moment. And just that, yeah, you know, if you want a player, just, yeah, is what it is. Um, right. That's Fafana. You know, we look forward to him hopefully donning the blue of Chelsea very, very soon. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? 
Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me. And you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The actual game itself. Let's talk about that. Um, Dan... I'm going to go to you first. It's a, I, I just want to get this out of the way because it's probably the saddest moment of yesterday. I think you're a big Conor Gallagher man. I think a lot of us are quite big Conor Gallagher men. Ah, that was 30 minutes. Ah, people kind of drew the back yoga comparison. I was like, damn, you're ruthless out here. But I kind of got it sent off in 30 minutes. It, it wasn't great. Dan, I'm going to, you know, just tell me what you think here. But with, with Conor, is it a case of, um, you know, him, he was kind of, he played like how we would have played as fans. He's so desperate, so enthusiastic. He's been a Chelsea boy since he was a young age and his heart was kind of just affecting his head out there. He wasn't really thinking, you know, at points, you know, he was already on a yellow card, et cetera, when he made that stupid tackle. And obviously, I mean, Cucurella, you know, doesn't exactly help him by putting him in that potential position to have to make that decision. But with Connor, is it just a case of almost just wanting it that bit too much? No, I think it, it just strikes me as someone who's like, got the jitters you know what i mean that there's kind of overthinking everything like things aren't, aren't coming naturally to him he's also not being helped by the fact that he's playing in a position that asks him to do things that don't come naturally to him um and i think that was like like wildly evident against leeds um when he was just like he was, he was almost targeted by the leeds midfield like and they were picking his pocket and you know um it's just not his natural game to play as like a six or in, a, in like a double pivot you know it's just i mean i think he can do it but um, like he's got enough natural talent and ability to be able to do it, but I just think it's it's not really the right fit at the moment. Like he needs to be playing further forward, where his best qualities are kind of on show. You know, be playing as like a box to box eight, um, or like someone just behind it, some forward players. But um, yeah, I think it's just like it's an over eagerness, like an eagerness to impress. He's like you can see that he's desperate to make to make to make the grade at Chelsea and. The, the sad thing is, like, he's come off a season at, at Crystal Palace where he did so incredibly well and nominated for Premier League Young Player of the Year. So he's he's got um, some cachet, you know, with the Chelsea fans before he even puts the shirt on. You know, we could fall back on that and say, look, this is a guy who's who's proven himself. He's got goals and assists in the Premier League. He's played now two seasons in the Premier League already. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just... I think he just needs a little bit of a break. I mean, I, I was kind of hoping in the first couple of games with the minutes that he got uh, briefly, uh, you know, against, uh, I think it was Spurs and, and Everton. I was, I was hoping that like something would just click and maybe you just get like pick a, a really good pass or, you know, just something like for him to, to, to build up his confidence. But it just doesn't seem to, he's had a, he doesn't, hasn't, hasn't had like a moment of positivity to kind of, to build, to build upon. So yeah, it's just, look, it, it was a rash decision. Both of the, the, the files that he gave were, a sign of maybe inexperience and over exuberance. 
And uh, yeah, Tuchel, I guess, rightfully hung him out to dry in the in the, in the post-match uh, press conference, uh, saying calling it his it a huge mistake. And but Connor, to his credit, did apologize on on his Instagram. You know, he did he did apologize to his teammates, to the fans, to the staff as well. So it tells you what kind of a player he is, what kind of a man he is. Um, but yeah, it's a young guy. Um, I'm not gonna. You know, I'm not going to massacre him. I think he deserves a bit of leeway. And he, I think I'd like to see him get more chances as well to prove himself. Um, and I think any young player who plays for Chelsea and, and who is a boy, boyhood Chelsea fan has a natural like affinity with the Chelsea fan. So, yeah, look, mistakes, uh, big mistakes. But uh, young players have made mistakes before. They've gotten red cards in key moments. Um, so I, I think he will learn from it. And um, yeah, I'm just hopeful that it's not kind of the end and he doesn't get farmed out on loan because of it. Because, you know, the moments like this, like it or not, can make or break your, your Chelsea career. But, uh, yeah, I think the Bakayoko comparisons are a bit uh, hasty. Um, but, uh, yeah, just hope he gets a, another chance uh, after he serves his suspension. And, uh, yeah, I just I just think he deserves it. And as you know, I'm a huge Conor Gallagher fan, so a little bit, a little bit biased maybe, but uh, those are kind of my thoughts on it. Yeah, Akash, obviously getting the red card is not great, obviously, for Conor. But in a way, it's almost a bit of a, just a blessing in disguise. But obviously, he is now suspended for Sampton. He misses that game. Kovacic is, you know, he came off the bench for 20 minutes. We may see Kovacic there. We may see him against West Ham. And it just maybe gives Connor a bit of time, just, you know, out, I guess out of the immediate limelight of starting in Chelsea's midfield. Just maybe, you know, gives him just a bit of time away just to, to work and, and focus on a few things. And who knows, maybe then, I guess it's about Tuchel finding the correct opportunity to then throw him back in the team. And in the game to actually kind of, you know, set him up almost to succeed. Because I, I don't want to say Tuchel's been setting him up to fail. I think we have got a question on that a little bit later. But he's obviously not been playing in a position suited to his strengths that will realistically guess the best out of him. He's kind of just been a square peg in a round hole. So do you think, in a way, as as tough as it was, as as a, probably the lowest point of Connor's career so far, I'd imagine, uh, yesterday was, in a way, that red card is, is almost a blessing. It just gets him out of the limelight. He can just kind of, you know what, well, go away focus on a bit and then who knows, gets a bit of time with two corner training ground, etc. You know, just get that bit more coaching. Because essentially right now he may be just that bit too indisciplined to play in that in that pivot role right now. Yeah, for me, so uh, I can sort of put it this way, right? I'm still not sure what profile or, or what role suits corner the most in our squad. So how I see it is if you had put him in that 13-14 Mourinho squad where the objective was turn the ball over as high up the pitch as possible, Connor would have maybe been our best player. I think he averages upwards of like 17-18 pressures per match. He's right up there with Gordon and Mason Mount, I think. So. And uh, watched a lot of him at Crystal Palace last year. And uh, even against teams like City, right? He, his his clarity of thought was so spot on. He'd get the ball in the box, uh, one, two simple touches, ball out of his feet, and he'd either choose the right pass or, you know, uh, and he scored a ton of goals there as well. I'm not sure he's the player to be playing in, you know, build up like, like he was for us yesterday or like, the match against Leeds. So his press resistance, at least now, isn't isn't how I want it to be. And I think I got cooked in a group chat with Dan like a few months back where I said maybe Connor needs to go out on loan uh, in a team that plays like, you know, pure possession football, put him in something like Brighton or maybe even Newcastle for now where, you know, they use the ball a lot smarter than maybe Crystal Palace do. But again, like you mentioned, I'm not going to slaughter him and call and you know sort of compare the performance to Bakayoko. Right? We won the match. He didn't cost us uh, like Bakayoko did versus Watford. So, and uh, like you mentioned, maybe he needs to he needs to go out and have that conversation with uh, Tuchel. Right? He, if he's not comfortable playing that deep, 
and you know he knows how how effective he is higher up the pitch maybe he needs to make a case for it so we have mason mount playing up there who's been maybe a little out of form maybe he can rotate there as as in you know affect the game higher up the pitch Pulisic doesn't look like he's rated. Uh, Ziyech obviously isn't. He's not starting too often. So uh, I think if Connor can get minutes a little bit higher up the pitch, it'll be a, it'll be a very different story. But at least for me, I'm I'm not a huge fan of uh, Connor receiving the ball in the first phase of build up. He isn't there yet for me. Yeah, no, I think that's very very fair. A learning step for Connor Gallagher yesterday, but he will be back. He will be back. Uh, right. I want to talk though. Let's talk about the main man. The main man who this episode is going to be named after, Raheem Sterling, Razmataz himself. Dan, those first three games at Chelsea with Raheem Sterling, we've seen glimpses. We've seen glimpses, obviously, you know, and that he could have scored in that first minute away at Leeds. He had a goal, a really nice goal ruled out for offside at Leeds as well. Um, you know, against Spurs, he missed a great chance, but he did get in a system game. Like he's shown glimpses and he probably been but he he has comfortably been Chelsea's best attacker this season. Um but he obviously hadn't got off the mark at this point. And Chelsea's attack, you know, as still is and will continue to face a lot of criticism this season. The season goes on due to how much he struggles and he's still struggling. But how nice for you was it just to see Raheem Sterling get off the mark? Obviously, the first goal gets a bit of perfection. Obviously, that second goal, that second goal is the exact type of goal that we want him to be scoring. Getting in, get, scoring goals in the penalty box, a yard or two out, getting, you know, getting those tap-ins. Yeah, of course. Um, and I did say, I think I, I said on a stream and Akash was watching like on Friday, um, that I, I felt Sterling would score in this game, um, simply because I think it's been coming, you know, um, because like he's got this like natural, um, ability to drift in from the left and then try and curl one into like the top right hand corner as you're looking at the goal. Um, and, I, and you could see that, uh, yesterday and he did that against Leeds, of course, as you mentioned, the, the offside goal. Um, he's got a, a really good knack for that. And um, yeah, I was very pleased to see that he got off the mark um, as a new signing, especially an attacking sign. It's nice to kind of to get the um, the proverbial kind of uh, monkey off your back, as it were, like a, to get like a, a goal, um, you know, so that you don't have people kind of putting a lot of pressure on you. Like the longer it goes, the more kind of you haven't scored and then it becomes like a, a story or a headline. And um, But yeah, I think, those both those goals were were proof of uh, his uh, ability, his kind of world class ability. Um, I think the first one takes a little bit of a deflection, so it was kind of loops over the goalkeeper. A little bit lucky, but uh, you, you, I guess you miss hundred percent of the shots you don't take. So, um, but yeah, like I think you mentioned that that kind of ghosting at the back post tap in finish is something that we've we've been lacking for for many years, um, and with all the the balls into the box that Reese whips in. And uh, Ben Chilwell's also been whipping in uh, over the last year, year to eighteen months. Um, we, we've needed someone like that, so it's good to have that. And I know on FIFA they call them sweaty goals, but you know you kind of like you, you need those um, as a as an attacking side. And it's good to have someone with that kind of positional awareness to be in the right place at the right time. It's an underrated skill, and uh, yeah, Raheem, Raheem Sterling certainly has it. So full credit to him. Um, for for a great performance yesterday and taking the 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 initiative himself um for in the attack uh we've we've kind of missed that since Eden Hazard and uh, perhaps we were over reliant on it with with Hazard but it's nice to have a player with that potential again and uh, I think we might call upon him quite a lot more this season so yeah Rasmataz well done uh 
full credit. It was a, bit, a little bit weird, to be honest, to see Raheem Sterling scoring for Chelsea. I never thought I'd say that sentence in my life, having uh, really been irritated by him for so many years as a Liverpool and Man City uh, player, you know. Um, but it's, it feels quite strange to to support him now. But um, look, we're here for it, and he did he did a very good job. So, uh, welcome to Chelsea, Raheem. Yeah, Raheem Sterling is a third Premier League uh, player in history to score for Manchester City, Liverpool, and Chelsea, after Daniel Sturridge and Nicholas Anelka. Nicholas Anelka played everywhere, didn't he? Um, right, yeah. Akash. I guess one player who was in, you know, was in the spotlight last week was Edward Mendy. Uh, and he probably was in the spotlight again this week, getting beaten kind of at his near post. There'll be some criticism should he get been there. But I think what people also forget is that he made some big saves, made big saves in that first half, made big saves event to, you know, I guess, preserve that lead. But, but, but what were your just kind of general thoughts on that Edouard Mendy performance? Because, you know, should he, you know, there's a question, should he really be getting beaten at his near post? But he did also, I guess, recover from that mistake and made some big saves to, to see a, a crucial win with 10 men. For sure. And I think... Uh... Mendy's a victim of his own success, right? He came in on a transfer fee of like 16 million and then was like world-class for so, so long. And uh, obviously, even standards dip and in a position like uh, a goalkeeper, it, it's obviously going to be highlighted that much more. So, I definitely am not... I, I don't hold the opinion that he should be dropped, but it, it's a bit concerning. I think Brett Gascoigne made the same point uh, on a group chat I was in recently that he looks very, very shaky at his near post. And a lot of people are recognizing that and targeting him there. And we saw that happen, uh, you know, with Harvey Barnes as well, right? Uh, I'm sure he has enough self-awareness to know that that's maybe a weakness because of his height or whatever other factors. And he has to maybe uh, look into those. And even if you are going to take him out of the squad, who do you put in? Kepa, who, you know, a lot of us obviously lost trust in, right? And the same thing's going to happen. He's going to not be able to get to a shot in the corners and people are going to start debating whether... Mindy would have reached it or not. And it, it's such a tiring and such a pointless exercise, right? So uh, I just hope we stick with Mindy. But if, if there is a succession plan, I, I don't know if it's Lonina or anyone else, but maybe someone with a little bit, little better quality on the ball has to be on the agenda for the next season or the one after. So. Yeah. Um, Dan, I guess obviously, Trevor Chalabar, first Premier League start of the season. You know, one of the breakthrough stars of last year, been an unused sub in all three games. But obviously, Kaldu Kulabali suspended he was the one change from last week and to be fair for his first game I thought he was pretty solid obviously there was a there was a moment where Jamie Vardy beat him to a ball and you know rounded Mendy but thankfully hit the side netting but just what we all kind of just thoughts on, on Trev yesterday and in general following on from Trev that back that back line because I thought Tiago and Aspi as well were you know pretty good when they came on yeah uh, Aspi was really good when he came on and Tiago Silva was just immense as per yesterday yeah it's just like my heart kind of bleeds for Trevor because you know he's he's kind of like very to comes across to me as a very unselfish player. You know, I mean, I, I believe I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but I think in the FA Cup final he wasn't set to start, and then Christensen got ill, and then he started. You know, and now he's come out of the cold like he didn't play any of the first three games, not even a minute, and now he started one against Leicester and he performed to like to a high level. So, like he's got this really innate ability to kind of just you know, swim when you drop him in the deep end. And it's, it's, it's really quite admirable. And I know, I, like, I got a little bit, of, a little bit, you know, uneasy when he made the mistake for, for Vardy. Um, you know, he got the wrong side of him and, and kind of got beaten. So I, I think that's the one mistake that's, that stood up. But you've also got to remember, A, he's, he's relatively, he's only his second season at, at Chelsea. He's still young. And, uh, and he hadn't played any minutes in the first three matches. So, um, it's, it's just like it's an incredible um, 
incredibly high standard of performance that he that he offers uh, for Chelsea, and even um, in the FA Cup final as well, the the uh, match that comes to mind, he I don't think he made any mistakes, and he marshaled Luis Diaz fairly well and forced him to shoot from from far away. Um, so yeah, look, I I really like Trev. I've got a lot of time for him, and I hope he sticks around um, this season and isn't sent out on loan because I think he earned he's earned that based off of last season. Um, it's just that that's the, that's the one downside of, of uh, signing Wesley Fofana is that um, what happens to someone like uh, to someone like Trev? Okay, he's versatile; he can play in many different positions. But um, yeah, just hopefully he he gets enough game time and gets like twenty twenty five appearances this season because he deserves it. Um, and he's a good, unselfish player and, and and a neat, high quality player. So yeah, I think he did well yesterday. Um, so with regard to Thiago and Aspi, I don't think well, what what more can you say about Thiago? He's going to be thirty eight, I think, next month, and he's still playing at this level, and uh, he's like the fulcrum of, of our defense. And uh, the man just doesn't seem to age. You know, it's just it's incredible the the standard of uh, performance he offers, and the last ditch defending, the reading of the game, the breaking up of Leicester attacks, the the, the just the relentless will to win. It's it's, it's evident in every sort of moment he's on the pitch so we're very fortunate to have him and uh, long may it continue um, Aspi is uh, just celebrated of course a decade at the club um, probably uh, getting towards his, his latter years now maybe past his prime a little bit but uh, you, you see flashes of that world class ability in in Aspi and uh, he showed it uh, yesterday he used all of his experience to keep us in the game and, and I think full credit to the defence yesterday uh, we were under relentless pressure from probably about minute 65, minute 70 to the end when Leicester created chance after chance after chance. Uh, but they just simply refused to lie down. And um, yeah, credit to the defence and, and all three of those those players. Yeah. Um, obviously, it was kind of another disappointing Mason Mount performance. He was him getting subbed uh, for Cesar Azpilicueta at half-time. And obviously, Kajabitz stayed, stayed on for 90 minutes. Um, you know, how effective he was. We'll get into that because I'm going to go on to listen to questions because I think this is a, a fair way to start this. Uh, first, this is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24 7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Question comes in from Mo. Do Brozier and Pulisic deserve a start next game or do we stick with Mountain Havertz? Akash, I'll give this one to you because, four, I mean, looking at it absolutely clinically, four games in, neither of them have registered a goal contribution yet this season. Mace has looked not really like himself. Kai. Unfortunately, he has looked kind of like himself in these weeks. Um, he obviously was involved in the build-up for the second goal yesterday. He did kind of lay it off to Reese to get in. So he was involved a little bit. But it kind of feels like we're kind of... Kind of some of the discourse I've kind of seen around people defending Kai at the moment is, oh, he, he ran around and he worked hard and he put his, you know, body or et cetera out there. I'm like, I get that. But I kind of feel that's the bare minimum. And we're kind of, you know, people are kind of cool. crediting him for bare minimum. It almost... I, I'm just wary of like how we kind of went down that road with Timo Werner, and I don't really want us to do it with Kai Havertz. Um, but what you're just kind of thoughts? Do you think Brozier and Pusic deserve a start next game? Obviously, Brozier's been a sub in the was it, you know it's been a sub 
in games so far this season, and so has Pulisic. I'd start Pulisic, but I I know what Dan, Dan's answer is going to be if if he asks the same question. So yeah, <laughs> I'm sure he's going to oppose me on this. But uh, I just think he he's their one player who has that in his locker, right? Al- along with Callum Hudson Odoi, if he receives the ball out wide, at least during Project Lockdown, he was the person who backed himself to beat a player either way. He had a good delivery on either foot. I just don't know what's happened. I think a lot of people have made the point he's lost a yard of yard of pace. Uh, he doesn't. He doesn't seem to be backing himself to you know be able to beat a person, and I have no clue why that happens to happen to a winger with so much potential. Uh, but uh, give. I think he deserves maybe a run of four five games where he gets about thirty to forty minutes to affect games. He's he's often thrown on like sixty fifth minute, seventieth minute, and he badly gets time to get up to the pace of the game. Right. So Pulisic is a player who I really really hope makes it makes it at Chelsea, and uh, I definitely give him. Uh, I I definitely think it's it's worth worth a punt. And same thing with uh, Broha as well. Uh, and uh, like you just mentioned, right? If people are gonna compliment players for doing the bare minimum of being the first line of press and first line of defense, then it, it, it's a dangerous path that we're on right now. Uh, people would say the same about Timo Werner that he was stretching the pitch, which an attacker who we paid 50 million for obviously has to do at least that, more than that, right? When when he's on the ball, uh, so you know, given how bad our attack's been, at least you know the lack of fluency. I think both of them are in minutes. And uh, like you mentioned, I think with Mace, it's a case of burnout. He's been playing close to three seasons non-stop. And people say he's out of position, but he's actually played attack for almost three seasons now, right? So I'm not too sure whether the in-position, out-of-position argument matters anymore. He he put up the numbers last season, but his performances were a bit hot and cold. So maybe a couple of games out of the team would not hurt all that much. So, uh, and I'm curious to know what Dan thinks about this as well. So Yeah. Well, Dan, I'll get you... Get your thoughts. Uh, so, the question, would you bring Pulisic and Broder in for a start midweek against Southampton? Obviously, you know, be intrigued to see what happens with Southampton because last year, that was a game where we had a ludicrous amount of space. A ludicrous amount of space and something like that may suit, may well suit someone like Armando um, but what, and and someone like Pili. But what, what would you do? And then, I guess, I'll let you on spam and I'll, I'll give you a, a question related to that from Jess after. Yeah, I think... Um... Look, Akash knows my feelings on Pulisic. Like I've, I've tried to, I've tried to. I won't lie. Like I've tried to like him. You know, I liked him during post the the lockdown. I've liked, I like what he can do. Like I like his directness. I like his skill and things like that. It's just like a lot of things around him that annoy me. You know, and I'll be honest about that. It's just the injuries and like the the talk in like media and all that kind of stuff. You know, um. So look, I I think uh, Tuchel probably won't start both of them. Um, I think he, I think Kai will will probably play. Um, I think he will start one of them, and I think that's more likely to be to be Pulisic. But I, I'd like to see them, maybe Pulisic start on the on the right, um, or yeah, or he might put Pulisic on the left and 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 Sterling through the middle, Havertz on the right. Um, so I'm not averse to to Christian starting. As as Akash said, he's got a lot of qualities that are are good, and Akash likes him. Um, he's there's a player in there. You know, he's. I'm not going to lie. Like he's, he's got a lot of ability. It's just that I've been frustrated with the fact that he hasn't demonstrated it consistently enough. You know, like we paid a lot of money Same for with him. Me. I don't. Yeah. Yeah, like we paid a lot of money for him, and there's, there's, like he's, he's shown flashes. Like, of course, you know, Liverpool away. That, that, that really excellent game he played against Porto in the, in the quarterfinals of the Champions League when we won it. Like he was just getting fouled and fouled and fouled. Uh, against Real Madrid, you know, he was really dynamic, really uh, pacey, very dangerous, very skillful. Um, he's he's very direct. He's got like a a really exciting set of skills. 
but it's just not something that we see often enough. You know, there's like just, just to me, there's a, a bit too much around him that, that I don't like, you know, just the, maybe this is just a personal impression, but I think Pulisic should start. Yeah. I think, I think he deserves a chance. Um, against Southampton, I just don't think I don't see Tuchel um paying playing both Broya and um and Pulisic. Um, I think it'll be one or the other. I'd like to see Armando play because I think he would he would thrive in in space. Um, and he did he did a, he did well for uh, being a teenager at Southampton. I just don't. I, I'm very hesitant to see whether Tuchel would would thrust him in like that. Um, maybe his hand will be forced. Um, I'd be pleased if he was because I think uh, Broya does deserve a little bit of a shot. Um, and a chance to show if he can do it, um, and more than just cameo appearances here and there. But um, yeah, I, I'd, I'd be very surprised if if, um, if Tuchel starts both of them. Fair enough, Dan. I'll give this next question to you. It comes in from Jess. Was Kai staying on for ninety minutes a message from Tuchel to the board that he needs a striker, and could that have also sent a message, however unplanned, to Brozier, assuming he was fit enough uh, to feature for a couple of minutes? Um. I don't know why it would necessarily be a message um, to the board. I mean, I think, uh, I think like managers do play a lot of like political games and stuff like that. So I'm not going to be naive and say that it couldn't be a message to the board. But I think just given the sheer level of investment that um, Tom Boley and the, and the ownership group uh, at Clear Lake have put into the club this window, um, suggests to me that that Tuchel's received the kind of backing that he wanted. And also, Tuchel's been given a lot of uh, control. In the in the transfer window, he's been asked his opinion on 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 signings, and I think he's been actively involved. So, I think with regard to the the backing angle, um, I certainly think he has been he has been backed. And I think the problem with Kai is that, um, and if you look at his interviews and stuff like that, he's not he he will talk about how he does his best, like for the team and for his all round game. It's just he's not, and I don't think he is maybe this type of player. He's not. People expect him to be like a nine who scores 15, 20 goals a season in the league, and I don't. I just don't think he's that kind of player. You know, I, I think he'll get you like double figures, maybe a little bit more than that. Um, but uh, yeah, I just think he's not. He, maybe we expect him to be a kind of player that he's not really. And uh, but um, yeah, um, what was sorry? What was the second part of the question? Do you also think that maybe him, you know, him staying on for the whole ninety minutes, presuming Brozier was fit, because uh, obviously Brozier wasn't fit for Leeds last week, but he was back on the bench this week. Do yeah. you think that might have sent a message to Armando, however unplanned that was from Tuchel? Um, well, look, I think with with any kind of dynamics as like a player in a dressing room, if if there's someone ahead of you, you're always going to try and uh, do your best to get ahead ahead of them in a spot in the in the team. But I'm not sure what kind of message that sends to Brozier, um, in the sense that. Uh, you know, Havertz, I think, has been, he's had two seasons at Chelsea now, and um, he's definitely like a player that, that Tuchel likes for all the attributes that he brings to Chelsea and the, and the sort of selflessness he, he um, shows in attack. So I think from a, maybe from a, the angle that uh, Broyer is kind of more of a goal scorer than, than Havertz, I think that that could be like a, a fire under his, a fire in his belly to try and get, uh, to get a, a starting spot from that point of view, maybe. Um, but uh, I, I think it's up to Broya really whether he takes that spot or not, and he needs to kind of just work and, and show Tuchel and the, and the coaching staff that he deserves to play over Kai and that he can bring goals and and he can add goals and on top of the attributes that kind of Havertz brings. Fair enough. Uh, next question comes in from Connor. 
Does recruitment solve all our problems or is there something still wrong about the way Tuchel's approach is with the attack? Akash, I'll give this to you. I feel this is going to be a, just a theme throughout the season. Um, but is it is it solely down to recruitment? Because obviously, if if Aubameyang comes, then he'll have got, in theory, two. His front three will have two of three attackers who he signed and, and wanted to sign. And then obviously that that one other could be someone who you know is he highly rates in Mount Havertz etc. So does it does recruitment simply just solve all these problems or is it is there also just you know is it a system, the system thing as well? The shout out to Konak for a really really good question, right? Uh, I ideally want to infiltrate an Arsenal group and then go through their chats for like the last two seasons. I, I want to see how. Uh, you know, what their response was to the Arteta project. Because if you remember, they were pretty defensive, I think, towards start of last season and even the season before. There was absolutely no fluency in attack. They didn't, they, they didn't look like they had any clue on the ball what to do, right? Then they got people like, uh, uh, you know, Ben White in and then uh, Gabriel started playing much better. Their midfield started looking a lot more balanced. And now they look like a really, really polished unit in attack. I think with this... Tukil is still trying to sort of account for a lot of weaknesses in the squad. I rate Jorginho and this is no slight on the player, but if you have energetic people in midfield running right at him, uh, you'll see his pocket picked and then people are right into our defense, right? And then you have people like Thiago Silva there who are almost 38 and he he's a beast, he's not human, but it, it's unfair to expect him to uh, account for runners throughout the entire 90. So I think in terms of systemic issues, we are missing a few profiles in the squad. We miss someone in defensive midfield, which we've been crying out for a really, really long time. And I have no clue why uh, Ethan Ampadu still isn't being given a chance. And I think I just spoke to Dan about this yesterday as well, right? Two kills, the profiles he wants in attack in midfield don't seem to sort of gel together. He wants to sort of want to turn over the ball very high up the pitch when you're bringing in players like Gallagher, Mount, and even Anthony Gordon, who I know Dan's a huge fan of. So if these people come in, then, you know, they're going to be pressing people like Mad, looking to turn the ball over. And then in midfield, you have people like uh, Jorginho and Kovacic who want to hog the ball. So I think there's a mismatch of profiles there, which someone in the squad needs to maybe think things through, or maybe I'm looking at this the wrong way, right? I'm, I'm not sure. Th- these two... The contrast in profile just, just doesn't seem to mix well together for me. So I think uh, he definitely needs a director of football to come in, sit with him and sort of sift through his different transfer targets and sort of have a coherent plan. And, uh, you know, all, all of us want fluency in attack. We've been hoping for that for a really, really long time. And we've seen us look better when we shifted to a 4-3-3 or 4-2-2-2. But the issue in the middle of the park still persists. So... Uh, I'm hoping that if the window closes and Ampadu still doesn't leave, he at least gets a look in. Right? He, he's he's the profile that we absolutely are crying out for in the middle of the park. And he still hasn't gotten a look in. So I think that that's maybe the only thing that I'm a little disappointed with uh, in in the games that we've seen till, you know, till now. Fair enough. Fair enough. Next question comes in from Prashamp. And again, like last week, I can tell there's a bit of anger and frustration uh, with his question. Dan. Why does Tuchel set Connor up to fail? He's not comfortable in a pivot two. Why not switch RLC and Connor today? Because obviously we did see RLC play kind of in that midfield pivot quite a lot last season. Yeah, I, I, I think it's a bit harsh to say set Connor up to fail. I, I just think um, it's kind of like a square peg in a round hole, isn't it? I think his hand is forced by the fact that um, Kovacic has been injured. Kante is now injured. Um, and who else is he going to play? And, and of course, we don't have necessarily a first choice right centre back. 
So he's forced to play Reese there, which then pushes Ruben out to the right. And I, I don't know. It's like I, I understand the argument that kind of Tuchel is playing a lot of players not necessarily in their right positions, and it's not something that I'm really necessarily a favor of. Um, but um, yeah, I, I get the anger and I get the the, the sentiment behind it um, because a lot of players at Chelsea aren't necessarily playing in, in their ideal positions. Um, and there could be a reason why our attack is not necessarily functional um, at times. But uh, yeah, I don't know if you hung Connor out to dry because I think there's there's probably a certain willingness of Connor as well to to um, do his best for the team. So I think, of course, any player will will willingly put uh, take a spot in the team um, if they're called upon. Um, so look, I favour Ruben in that in that pivot as well. Um, I think he's demonstrated his ability to carry the ball very well. He's he's physically physically strong. Um, he's decent in the in the tackle and. Um, yeah, I think he's he's good there, but I just think we were short on options at at uh, right wing back, um, and uh, yeah, Reese that combination of Reese at right centre back and uh, Ruben at right wing back worked against Real Madrid in the Champions League um, to a large extent. Before, of course, we unfortunately succumbed. But um, yeah, I just think it's a tried and tested formula for um, Tuchel to have it that way, and uh, just having Connor in in midfield. Um, he has attributes and he's played there. I think he played there deeper for uh, when he was on loan at, at West Brom. And um, I think it was either at Swansea. He dropped deeper when he was at Swansea um, as well in the championship. I know he played further forward for Charlton. Um, but yeah, he because Connor has experience playing there. So um, I don't think it's his best position. But I, I don't know. I'm just hesitant to say that Tuchel's necessarily hanging him out to dry. Even if I do think that he's not playing him in his ideal position. So it's a little bit of a convoluted answer, but I think I got there eventually. Fair enough. Oh, I'll stay with you, Dan. Uh, next question comes in from a lovely Patrick Larson. Uh, first off, props to the pod for bringing on legends of his calibre. I'll let you two get a little bit of an ego boost there. Um, this is question, do you think Connor will be given another chance to impress after a card today? Or has his chance come and gone under Thomas Tuchel? I mean, Dan, surely, surely, you know, you know, with the, the amount of games we'll play this season, he will get another chance. I would hope so. Yeah, big Conor Gallagher fan. And shout out to Pat. Pat's a lovely guy and a really tremendous member of the, the Chelsea community. He always spreads positivity. And uh, yeah, it's nice to have a compliment like that. So I appreciate that. But uh, yeah, one would really hope that Conor gets another chance. Um, and uh, yeah, football can be a cruel game at times. So it's it's uh, anybody's guess as to what happens in the, in the next three or four days in the transfer window. But uh, yeah, I would hope that Conor gets a, gets a chance because I think he deserves one. Fair enough. Final Conor Gallagher question comes in from Dean Mears. Conor Gallagher, not yet suited to the pivot, but IMO can replicate Kante with the right coaching. So my question is, do you say he needs more experience and send him back on loan or let Tuchel work with him? Or do you think he should be challenging Mount to start? Akash, I'll go to you on this one. Okay, so uh, Kante again, deep on the ball isn't the best, but he is better on the ball than Conor Gallagher. I, I, I don't know if this is a controversial opinion, but uh, Kante's on-ball qualities are ridiculously underrated, right? He's so, so good at uh, driving past people and because he's playing with silky players like Kovacic or Pogba in the national team, I don't think people notice just how good he is on the ball. I think against bigger teams, you can have uh, Connor playing the Kante role where, you know, uh, we do sit a little deep and then snap into people as soon as they try to start progressing with the ball. But against a low block, I don't think I I don't want to see Connor uh, in, in the first phase of build up. He is amazing when he gets the ball in and around the opposition, you know, uh, a penalty box or 
in, in their attacking third in terms of uh, he shows a lot of maturity for his age because he's so clear in his head what he wants to do. I think the goal against West Ham is like the biggest example, right? Rice, who is one of the defensively strongest players in the league, was so close to him, he turned him inside out and finished near post. Same thing with Man City as well. So I think against the bigger teams, uh, I have no issues with Connor maybe starting a little deep, but then breaking forward and joining the press, but not uh, no, not against low block. I think a pivot of Jorginho or Kovacic and Kante is still the way to go, provided we don't sign someone going forward. And in an ideal world, my boy Billy starts. I think I'm the only person in the Chelsea fan base still flying the Billy flag and hoping that he stays this season. I think a lot of people have resigned to the fact that he is going to leave either on a permanent or on loan. But I have this I, you know, inch of hope that uh, Tuchel has a change of heart and starts playing him more often. Okay, class. Fair enough, Dan. Obviously, would you... First, because obviously there are quite a few ifs and ors in, in Dean's question. Uh, would you rather, I guess, loan Conor Gallagher out, get him playing, you know, regular football somewhere else where, you know, playing to his strengths? Or do you think ultimately he's had that Premier League experience? He's played a lot of games. Let Tuchel actually work with him and just mould him into the player he wants. And maybe it results in him playing less than, than he'd like, but, you know, he's kind of setting up and building him up for future use. Or or should he be challenging Mason Mount for a, challenging Mason Mount for a position to start? Yeah, look, I think, you know, you're, I'm a Conor Gallagher fan, so I think you know what you're going to get from me. I'm going to want him to go out on loan as well. And, and from that perspective as well, I think he did tremendously under Patrick Vieira at, at Crystal Palace. Who, Patrick used him uh ideally like in a in a way that um is uh really you know suits his uh his style of playing his attributes the best um but uh, yeah i'm not in favor of him going out on loan because i don't think what what's he going to learn you know what 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 more is he going to do unless he goes to a club like maybe like newcastle or uh somebody who's challenging a little bit higher up than than perhaps crystal palace you know although palace look actually pretty good uh at the moment um but yeah, I just I just don't see what benefit he's going to get um, going out on like another loan, um, unless it's to a higher level. I just think like his dream is to be at Chelsea, and uh, he might. The unfortunate thing is, I know he wants he has ambitions to go to the World Cup now. But um, so from that standpoint, if you think you have Connor, I think he might want to go on loan so that he can play week in week out and sort of push his name forward for the inclusion in the England squad. However, I think if he plays the long game. And he's a little bit smarter, you know, with with that, and maybe sacrifices going to this World Cup. If he can somehow get a, his head in or his nose into the the Chelsea eleven uh, in the future, I think that's he or not a he wouldn't be a shoe in for England, but it certainly elevates his uh, his his um, standing in sort of Gareth Southgate's thinking. So from that standpoint, I th- I, th- I would be in favour of him of him staying with Tuchel and, and learning and working uh, with with him on, and refining refining his game to become maybe a more all-round midfielder who can play in, in more than just a, behind the strikers or like a, an eight role. Um, but um, yeah, I think that that that, that would be my preference. And uh, I think I, I agree with, and Akash mentioned this earlier as well, and I agree with the opinion there that maybe he should be challenging Mason a, a little bit further up his field, further up the field, because that's where his skill set is ideal. You know, as Akash mentioned, he's really good around the box. You know, he's uh, around the penalty box, like snapping at the heels of the defenders. There's one goal that he scored for Palace, I think, where he he did that curler at, at Sellers Park, where he, he presses a, a defender, pinches the ball off him, and then uh, whips it into the top corner. I mean, he's really good at that. So, And Mason's good at that as well. So I think it's it's a nice problem to have uh, two really good players of, of that standing. 
Um, but but yeah, I just I'd, like uh, Akash mentioned his his uh, all round passing ability. Connor, um, he's not a bad passer, but I just don't think he does. He has the range of passing that like a, a six, uh, someone in a double six role needs. Um, you know, he's, he's just like he's he's really good at um, kind of short whipped passes and and things like that. You know, not not really those long raking kind of. And and controlling the tempo kind of passes, you know. Um, so yeah, in summary, I want to, want him to keep around, benefit from uh, Tuchel's coaching, and uh, I think play further up the pitch. Fair enough. Next question comes in from Sham. Taking the result aside, how much would you rate the performance against Leicester compared to that against Leeds? I mean, Akashi, it's night and day, really, isn't it? But just how much better was that performance um, uh, from that from Leicester to Leeds? Then I will kind of link in RJ's question, which. I guess to focuses on the positives and negatives of that display. The Leeds game made me want to break my TV multiple times. So uh, the Leicester game was like in, infinitely better, right? And uh, how bad we were on the ball in the first half at Leeds was uh, I, I can't even describe it in words. I mean, I, I haven't been this depressed after Chelsea performance for a really, really long time. But uh, against Leicester, we showed heart, and we again showed that these games is maybe the rest, the best uh, attacking right wing back or right back in the world and to have someone with his uh, you know attacking quality uh, what he can give from positions higher up the pitch putting him on rcb is like you know it makes sense to me at all and in terms of uh, having a different profile at right wing back and you know bringing in someone like uh, walker peters or bringing in someone like freeze uh, you know, it, it was definitely the wrong thing to do. And I'm so, so happy we've given up on those pursuits. And I think uh, you know, one of Sterling's best attributes under Pep was those blindside runs, right? He'd sneak in behind uh, at, at the far post and finish those off. And often it, and oftentimes it was uh, Kevin De Bruyne or, uh, you know, Kyle Walker playing those passes in. I think Reese can become our biggest attacking outlet. He already is, but... I think he can reach those levels of KDB or Walker uh, uh, in terms of creativity. Maybe it's a little controversial. Maybe people are going to cook me for this opinion, but I, that is how highly I rate Reese. So seeing him, you know, really come into the game and demand the ball, uh, imprint, you know, stamp his authority on the match was was really, really fun and, you know, much, much better than the Leeds game. No comparison at all. Uh, and Dan, RJ's question, apart from the result itself and the collective spirit shown, what were the most pleasing aspects of this performance? And equally, what were the things that you would like us to focus on improving? Um, this is with respect to Reese, right? This is No, this is just for Chelsea performance just in general. Overall. Just yeah. overall. Oh, yeah. Um, well, I think like uh, we had uh, a lot of like the, the biggest thing for me was that we like stuck in and, and we pulled out like a, a performance um with 10 men. I think that's always like a big um, positive uh, with respect to like your mentality and, and just going forward it, your ability to dig in. I think that's something that Chelsea have drawn upon in, in years past. Um, so that, that's a big positive for me. Um, it's obviously not like a situation that you want to uh, present yourself or be presented with, but nevertheless, the fact that the team got the win um, says a lot about the the mentality. Often, and I'm I'm guilty of this. Often, I've questioned the the mentality of the of the side. So, that's something that that we can take out of this performance, um, that our ability to dig in. Uh, but I think our attack or Raheem Sterling looked really positive, and really lively, which we've spoken about a lot. So that's that's a big positive. Um, of course, our defense I think was a, a positive, even though we did concede the one goal. Um, so I think uh, 
like just the the doggedness and the refusal to to lose and and lie down that was really really good Kukurea I think was good as well I think he was positive very uh, dynamic uh, on the left wing back there and um yeah one one huge positive uh who's maybe slipped under the the uh slipped under the the door as it was we hadn't really spoken about too much is uh Reese James um Reese James is a simply magnificent player you know he's just a delight to watch and his skill set it just seems to grow and grow and grow like it, it's it's really quite astonishing to me that uh, what what he can do um and uh just the level he, levels he's playing at and a uh, nice problem for England to have two world class right uh, back slash right wing backs in, in Trent Alexander-Arnold and um, Reese James and of course not too shabby one in Kyle Walker himself as well um, but uh, yeah Reese is a brilliant uh, player and uh, he delights me when I when I when I watch him um, but uh, yeah I, I don't know if there's, there's anything else you want you want me to add there uh, just things to RJ's oh, second part of our question but also things to you know what things you like to us to focus on improving um, I think I, I don't know. It's, it's of course it's uh, having praised Raheem for the attack. I, I still think there's a little bit of like a, a, a functionality issue in the sense that like we generated a few big chances in the game, um, but it, it, seem, it seems to me it's, it's not enough. You know, it's not. It's not like we don't put the opposition under enough pressure. And, and also as well, Tuchel mentioned he always like seems to mention the first twenty minutes of the game. And we seem to put oppositions under a lot of pressure in the first 20 minutes, but it never tells. You know, we don't take the opportunities. Like, uh, you saw Ruben Loftus-Cheek, of course, didn't score like a, a what, what should have been a tap-in. That, that's the kind of thing, you know. I'd like us to be a little bit more decisive in, in that sense and, and get ahead early so that, like, nerves settle and then we can sort of grow into the game a little bit more. So that, that's probably what I'd like to work on. As well, I, although I did praise the doggedness of the of the defense, I was a little bit worried, like, um, of course, we did have 10 men, but like just over the course of the first four games, um, it seemed to be a little bit more leaky than than I would like. You know, it's not like it's not as though we um, can rely upon it as much maybe necessarily as we did last season, because uh, that was like really a fulcrum of our team last season was our, our defense. And it just doesn't seem to me that way at the moment. And it could be just because we have new players, you know, so many new players. And of course, we've got Fafana coming in. So. Probably takes a while for players to gel, but um, yeah, so just a little bit creaky. But uh, last final point in in midfield, of course, it, we've suffered a little bit with injuries, and of course now suspension of Connor, and uh, that's something that I'd like to see settled down. You know, um, I don't think we'll get a defensive midfielder unfortunately before the window um, closes. But um, yeah, I, I just we need a little bit more um, of Chelsea of old, a little bit more control in there. So that's probably something that we need to work on. Uh, just kind of stop letting the the opposition midfields get turn us over so much and put us under so much pressure. Because like Akash mentioned earlier, once they get past Jorginho or his partner in the midfield, it's kind of they just straight at our defence, and then, and that happens a little bit too often. Um, so that's probably something to to work on. Yeah, RJ, say it was nice to see Chelsea go down to ten men and not capitulate and implode. Uh, that could very easily have happened yesterday, and we've kind of seen that Chelsea before. I guess it also highlights how low confidence is at Leicester that they. Could not take advantage, but credit to us for that. And I guess one thing it needs to improve the discipline. That's two two red cards in our first four Premier League games now already. And I know Koulibaly's red card was when the game was already gone and we'd already lost. But you know we can't afford to be keep game players suspended. And that also goes to I know Thomas Tuchel and he was probably right to feel his way. But again, Thomas Tuchel got got here, got himself sent off against Spurs and had got himself a touchline ban. And again, he was you know he felt the way he did. I'm not gonna you know tell him not how to feel etc. But 
it, it kind of always a collective. And I think the discipline at the start of the season from us, not just even with cards as well, but obviously we've seen individual errors as well. It just, you know, the team discipline cohesion needs to, we need to, that's one thing that really needs to improve. Uh, next question comes in from AJ and Akash. I'll give this to you. Since Cover is back, why persist with Jorginho? Give Ampadu a shot in the DM position. What's to lose? If it doesn't work, we know the pain point remains. If it works, we might just have found a possibility to go to four of the back and unlock many other combinations. Sounds simple enough. For sure. Uh, I think a lot of people have been shouting from the rooftops for Ethan to be playing, right? And uh, I am not sure why Tuchel doesn't trust him. I think, again, this was a discussion recently and Central made the same point that uh, Ethan often goes for the progressive pass regardless of whether it's the right option or not because he, he wants to uh, move play fast. But at times, uh, if the player's under pressure or you know if there's better passing options to be made, uh, he hasn't you know, honed that side of his game. But I don't see much downside to him starting because Jorginho is a great player. I rate him very highly. I, I didn't under Frank as all of you probably know, but... Uh, I, I've more than turned my mind around him, around on him after the Champions League run. But uh, take him out of the squad and we lose a bit of progressiveness. I, I don't know if other people agree or disagree, but uh, at least for me, if we don't have him in the squad, we often struggle to bypass that first, you know, the first level of press that comes from the opposition. If Ethan Ampadu can somehow convince Tuchel that he can do that consistently, then, you know, I'm hoping that he gets a chance. And Kovacic, as you know, is my favorite, favorite player. We look so much better with him in the team, right? And uh, just having that player who can take on two, three people, burst out of pressure and then play people in, we've missed that so badly. So, an Ethan Kovacic pivot on paper looks like, you know, something that could definitely work, but, uh, you know, hopefully Tuchel feels the same and starts them at some point. Yeah, no, exactly. There'll be a lot of games this season. If Ethan sticks around, then hopefully we can see him get an opportunity. But Ethan is just so, his future just up. And yeah, we just do not know what to expect. I think at one point he wasn't given a, a squad number, but then he was on the bench last week. And it's just all a bit like we, you know, we do not know what is going to happen. And I said, I think realistically, we're going to have clearer answers once this transfer window closes. Penultimate question comes in from Anna, unrelated to the match. But my question is, what do you think of Gabriel Slanina signing for us? And are you excited for him joining us in January? I mean, Dan, highly talented, rated young American keeper, 18 years old. I think Real Madrid were after him. Um, I guess, you know, is it a case of, like, it's, is, it, is it hard to get too excited given the fact that he's probably at least three or four years away, you think, from actually being ready to, to challenge for, a, a, you know, be ready to, to take a first-team spot at Chelsea if he progresses how he does, just looking at, you know, how Thibaut Courtois progressed. Yeah, um, look, to be honest, I'm, I'm not the world's biggest expert on Gabriel Slanina. Yeah, I don't think any of us are, Anna, unfortunately. I, I, I think I've had, I've had a couple of clips, I've checked a couple of clips on him. I've read, uh, like a couple of articles on him. Um, I'm waiting for a CSC Central masterclass on Gabriel Slanina, which I think we, we haven't had yet. Um, but, yeah, no pressure, Sam. But yeah, he's he's just brilliant with those kinds of articles and clips and things. But yeah, look, I and a lot of people have drawn this comparison because I think we signed Thibaut Courtois at like a similar age from Genk, and then he went out on loan to Atletico Madrid for a couple of years, and then came back as like a or if not a, a world class keeper, very very close to world class keeper. Um, so I I'll be interested to see if it necessarily follows that kind of pathway. Because I just think at like the eighteen, nineteen, whatever he is, he's just a little bit young and raw for, for the for the Chelsea number one spot. And I just think as well, sitting 
uh, or he, leaving him as like a number two to Mendy is probably not going to do him any favors either. Um, and uh, yeah, we we've tried the the situation where we had uh, Petacek and uh, Courtois as, as goalkeepers, uh, two kind of first choice goalkeepers at the club. I don't really think that that necessarily worked for the one for for Czech at the time. Um, so yeah, look, I, I'm I'm encouraged by the fact that we signed him and uh, signed obviously a lot of young and exciting uh, players. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I I don't think he's ready for the, the Chelsea first team. Like you like you said, I think it will be a couple of years, two, three, maybe four years before he's even uh, the number one. But uh, it's certainly a good sign uh, for the club, a good uh, acquisition to beat someone like Real Madrid to his signing. Obviously, there's a player in there, so yeah, big positive for the club. But uh, interested interested to see where his path leads from from now. Yeah, Chelsea in twenty. 20- 2030 could be very exciting with the likes of Carney, Chukwameka, Kasadai, etc. Uh, you know, Slowly Nero, who knows, maybe some other youngsters we poach from top clubs around the world or, you know, lesser clubs. Uh, final question comes in from Jay Tomlins. Would you rather have the ability to see 10 minutes into the future or 150 years into the future? I mean, boys, there's, there's, I guess there's perks to it. You know, if we could see 10 minutes into the future yesterday, we would not have had to, sh- you know, stress about the ending of that Leicester game. Um, Dan, what, Dan, what would you choose? Uh, I have no idea, to be honest. I don't know which one would be more useful because, I mean, 150 years in the future, you see all the technology and things like that. You could, I suppose you could bring that back to the modern day and make a lot of money, I suppose. But 10 minutes in the future is very suitable if you're a Chelsea fan because it removes the, the heartache and uh, the heart attack uh, potential. So I'm going to stick my head out there and say 10 minutes in, into the future because this is a Chelsea central podcast and I, I dearly like not to live on the edge of my seat with uh, bundles and bundles of anxiety so that that would be nice 10 minutes into the future and Akash what about you I'm just weighing the benefits if I look 150 years into the future I'll know which of my investments did well and then you know sort of stock up on those <laughs> 10 minutes into the future tells me if I get laid on dates or if I pass interview so I'm probably going to choose 10 minutes into the future there. <laughs> Fair enough. I love That's brilliant. That's <laughs> brilliant. Um, yeah, look, obviously, Jay, if I could see 150 years into the future, I'm not going to be around in 150 years' time. So, again, how much use of that is actually to me? Some of it might be useful. Yeah. But then if I see that Spurs won a Premier League after I'm dead, that's, you know, that's going to annoy me because I'm going to know it's happened. But if I can't see that, it happens, then I don't really care. Um, and 10 yeah. minutes into the future, I think is good because it would reduce a lot of Chelsea fans' anxiety and stress levels. You know, and I think we all often joke that, you know, Chelsea have added five years onto me, etc. Chelsea will be the death of me. Well, it would kind of rule that out. And, it, you know, it, it would lead to a longer, healthier lifestyle. So, you know, if we could see 10 minutes in the future, we could see... Obviously, the downside is if Chelsea score a late goal, it kind of takes away that, you know, you know enjoyment of the potential, you know, brilliant experience of that. But I think given how much Chelsea put us through the ringer and how much, you know, we age and et cetera through watching Chelsea, I'm going to stick with, with 10 minutes. And I say, you know, 10 minutes, we, you know, we don't look too far ahead. Let's not get carried away. 10 minutes is a, is a nice little, you know, t- timeline uh, into the future. But that's going to wrap it up this week of that Chelsea podcast. It has been an absolute pleasure and it's been a really fun one to record. Um, before we go, I'll get ourselves, get ourselves, our guests to give themselves a plug. So, Dan, why don't you tell people where they can find you one last time? Uh, you can find me uh, at idanno05 on Twitter. That's uh, small i-d-a-n-k-n-o-w-0-5. Uh, you can find me also, I do 
a couple articles now and then uh, for uh, the Chelsea Social. They're at the Chelsea Social on Twitter and on Instagram. Um, and I think there's a TikTok page as well. Um, there's also a blog online, um, the Chelsea Social. So check that out. Lots of wonderful content creators there. Uh, really great people uh, running that that fan page. So please get involved. Give it a like. Give it a follow. Uh, you'll find me there. And thanks again, Nick, for having me on. Uh, it's been wonderful. And finally, to chat with Akash as well. Uh, Akash, it's been a pleasure having you on. Uh, we've been chatting for for at least two years now, talking about all things Chelsea. Uh, before you go, why didn't you tell people where they can find you? Uh, for sure. So I was on Twitter on Akash Hebber CFC8. Uh, but I keep popping off, you know, when things get a little too heated there. So, uh, people can find me on akash.hebbar on Instagram and, uh, I all regional as well as English content. So I will share the link and, you know, translates to, uh, Chelsea guy in Malayalam. And, uh, we do tactical breakdowns of games. We do, uh, you know, and post match and again Nick thank you so much for having me on this was so much fun and uh, awesome to do it with Dan yeah no it was an absolute pleasure and really nice to have you two guys on hopefully we can get you on in the future with yourselves and also with other brilliant people as well as for us we're on Twitter at Bat Chelsea Pod we're on Instagram at Bat Chelsea Pod we're on all your usual podcast platform providers Apple, Spotify etc if you want to leave us a rating and review that goes a long way Share it to your mates, play it to anyone with a functioning pair of ears, please. If they are on, you know, if you ever you're on Twitter and he likes retweets on the pod, goes a long way, helps us get out of there onto other people's timelines. Because at the end of the day, we are just Chelsea fans talking about one club that we do love. As I said, you know, we do about Chelsea Podcast have our own FPL league open as well. The link to that is in the description below. I'm having a stinker, you know, so far this season. Obviously, Mo Salah did absolutely nothing in a 9-0 win against Bournemouth. And Martin Odegaard, oh, my three, Martin Odegaard has scored three goals in two weeks since I took him out my side. Um, so, yeah, it's going, um, I'm, going I'm having a, I'm having a stinker as well, don't worry. So, yeah, we're all having stinkers. So, if you want to boost your ego and beat us at FPL, then join. The link will be in the description below. But until the next episode, everybody, keep a blue flag. Bye. Sports Social Podcast Network.